and that God is going to begin to um, uh, um, bring solutions to situations um, that we've not yet explored or seen. So whatever that means, I'll let you go. I got a message this morning I want to bring and get into the Word this morning. So if you're taking good notes this morning, uh, the title of my message, uh, uh, kind of a long title, but maybe it's, it, 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 anyway, uh, they'll fit it all on the <laughs> screen, I guess. But the rejection of the inferior to discover purpose is my message this morning. The rejection of inferior to discover the purpose. How many know that God has given us things that are superior uh, to what the devil wants to hand us. Uh, basically, that's what it comes down to. What the devil gives us is inferior to what God wants us to be blessed with. I mean, know, our Heavenly Father, Jesus was on the earth, and he walked as a human on the earth, really to demonstrate the heart and the love of the Father. He didn't ask a, a, a denomination affiliation or religious belief before he healed somebody. Uh, if somebody cried out to him, it would be a leper that they weren't supposed to touch. Jesus went and touched them anyway and uh, basically healed them. He never asked uh, questions of where they are spiritually or what they're going to do in their future. He merely uh, gave out healing. He showed mercy. He showed the love of the Father. Our Heavenly Father is just like that today where he gives out mercy. So anyway, I just uh, wrote down some things uh, uh, along this line. The rejection of the inferior. So we want to get rid of inferior ideas uh, uh, wherever they may lie and discover uh, our purpose in God. How many know God has a purpose for everybody? He has a purpose for everybody here. And, of course, there's a mountain of Scripture that des describes that. Uh, I'm going to get into a few of them this morning. But I said, put this in my notes. I said, when I choose fear, if I choose fear, I'll, I'll take with that topic. Now, that's not the only topic. Uh, but let me, let me hit that one because that one seems to reach everybody uh, sometimes the hardest. When I choose fear, I choose an inferior over the absolute presence of God. So basically, when I allow fear to come in and control my life, regardless of what that is, uh, whether it be fear over finances, whether it be fear over health issues, whether it be fear uh, of, of um, the IRS, <laughs> whatever it is that we're in fear, when that fear comes in and begins to control us and begins to uh, be that uh, force or entity that makes us make all our decisions or whatnot, then what happens is we're grasping hold of that that's in fear. Now, this is something that's human nature. This is something that everybody wrestles with because I can take you back to Genesis chapter 3 and I can show you in the garden. How many know uh, Adam and Eve were in the garden? They were in a perfect place. What a place to fall from a perfect place that God has set you in. In other words, there was no disease. There was no sicknesses. There was no thing. Uh, uh, they didn't have a mortgage due. Uh, nobody could foreclose anything on them. Uh, basically, they were, they were free. They were free to do it. And in that freedom of choice, God said, there's one choice you cannot make. How many know there's always something that we're not supposed to do? <laughs> and it's been like that from the beginning. Uh, but the fact is, is so you know the story. Uh, uh, Adam and Eve were standing there. We know that because Eve took the fruit and handed it to Adam. So we know he was standing right there listening to the conversation. Uh, it wasn't just about Eve. But Eve anyway carried on the conversation with a serpent that we know to be the devil, symbol of. But it's amazing. They went through that. You all know the story, right? They went through that. They partook of the fruit. Now, all of a sudden, the Bible says their eyes were opened. Were they blind before? Their eyes were opened. Their eyes weren't closed, but basically what was open to them was a different, was a different reality and a different perspective. A reality that didn't include God, a reality that was separate of God and separate from what his commandment was for them to do and see. 
So basically, they took the word that God had given them uh, in this thing, and basically they went ahead and violated it anyway. Now all of a sudden, their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened before. They walked around. They walked and talked. They saw each other. They saw the same people. They saw all the same things. But now they had a different perspective. And that different perspective became very foreign uh, to them and very foreign to what they were doing. But you understand what happened. Something changed within them and changed the relationship with God. Something changed very definitely because basically when Adam and Eve sinned, it says this. It said after the fall, they looked at each other. They saw that they were naked. They put, made uh, uh, clothes out of fig leaves. Uh, uh, I don't know what that helped. I mean, they, they saw the same things before. But they're seeing the same things now. But now all of a sudden we have a different uh, outtake and we have a different response to what we're seeing. So I see this eye opening as a response, not to now to God's word, but a response on what the world sees in the rest of the perspective. Now they're seeing evil for what evil is. They're seeing the different things, what God says. Where God basically put them in a paradise where they were, were, didn't have that perspective. Amen? And we've been trying to get back that perspective ever since that they had of God and so on and so forth. But then this is where they're at. But you notice what they did. It says right here in Genesis 3.10, it says they fled from the presence of God because they were afraid. So, wait a minute, let's back up before that uh, eventful time where they took the wrong fruit. Adam and Eve used to walk and talk in the garden with God. God would come down personally and spend personal time with him. Did they or did he not? Isn't that true? So they would walk and talk, and, they would, and basically God would put out the assignments. Adam, this is your domain. Uh, the earth is yours. Whatever the animals' names are, that's their names. And this is how everything humanity begins, uh, which you call them. Uh, you, you have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowls of the air, and all the other things that, that walk and crawl and creep on the earth. So this is your domain. So they had all this, but they had this relationship with God that wasn't severed until that particular time. But now all of a sudden, the Bible specifically says that when they saw themselves, they, their eyes were opened to a different reality. And that reality, now God became a scary uh, uh, person instead of a person that they used to love and talk to. It's an amazing because the fall and the decisions that they made that were outside of God's realm of covering they made that decision with God's warning not to, but they made that decision, and, but the, all of a sudden now fear enters in. There was no fear before. Fear enters in not as a superior uh, experience with God, but as something that's inferior, inferior to him. If you're afraid of something, you're retracting from it. If you're afraid of something, you're backing away from it. The thing we don't we none of us need to do is back away from God or from his presence or from his anointing. That's the thing we need to press into. And we've been trying to get that back ever since. Of course, when Jesus went to the cross, this is one of the things he did. He reversed this. So now our eyes are open again for the Christ, but they're open now to the truth where we can see the Father for what he is. We can see, we have his word, we can study his word. Now we can begin to learn and begin to gravitate back towards the things of, of what God is doing. Help anybody this morning. So I, I put this in my notes. I thought this was pretty good. I just it, Fear isn't what I'm talk, preaching about this morning, but uh, fear is a good example because I think everybody is familiar with it. I don't think there's anybody that's not familiar with fear of one shape or form. Maybe you feel tormented right now, but fear brings torment. I, I've heard this said to some people, well, some fear is, is, is wisdom. No, it isn't. It's insight, but it's never wisdom. 
fear, all fear is, is detrimental. It brings torment. Paul said that too. He said that God has not given us the spirit of fear. If it's something that we need to guide us, God would give it to us. But he didn't. He did not give us the spirit of fear. He gives us the power of love and of a sound mind. So that tells me the spirit of fear does not understand or the spirit of fear goes uh, uh, far the other way from soundness of mind. Praise the Lord. Just saying, right? Amen. Uh, to live in the world we see today takes a new kind of courage. That's for sure. Uh, God's servants, that's us, God's servants, uh, uh, he will grant us the spirit of courage to stand against the pressures of the world. And what's the pressures of the world? Fear. Fear. I don't know about you, but I find myself turning the news off more and more, even before they get their opening sentence, because basically it seems like the same old, same old. In our advertisement system, I guess, and even in our medical field, fear seems to sell pretty good. It's a way for, for news agencies to make a lot of money. I mean, who's going to pay to watch somebody has good, has good news, that is happy all the time and has a peace and joy of the Holy Spirit? Who's going to put that on the news, 5 o'clock news? but all have something that seems to be dismal going downhill or, or, or falling apart or coming, uh, coming apart like a cheap suit. I mean, that we want to we put that headline news. Amen? Everything that we have. So, I, I don't know, I, any more of the day and hour we live in. But we're, God has designed us to stand against the pressures of the world at the same time to stand for the presence of God. Because here's what I'm finding out more and more. I'm finding out that to stand against the pressures of the world alone is almost impossible. Uh, God did not design us to be hermits. Uh, but I mean, even then, you're going to have, you, you take fear with you wherever you go. So even if you could isolate yourself in this, you know, made up fantasy world where you can isolate yourself from everything and just sit in by yourself, all by yourself, how many of the fear would not go away? Because then the fear of lack would come up, the fear of not having enough to eat, fear of, of, of keeping warm or clothes or whatever we need. It would, those, those fears would still rise up all by ourselves, with nobody else around, no 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 11 o'clock news, none of those things going on, nobody pumping information. And so fear doesn't necessarily come from other people's information, but it comes from a, a mindset that we've focused on the wrong thing. Praise the Lord. Amen. I picked this up in Philippians the other day I was, I, I was, as I was praying, and I, I, I put this to it. Philippians 4, 7. You can turn in your Bible if you have your Bible with you. Philippians 4, 7. I love this scripture. Um, I memorized it. I've got this thing in, in my heart. It's what it says essentially in verse 7 of Philippians 4. It says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind. What is under attack today more than anything? Our hearts and our minds. First, our minds. What happened? What, is, what does Satan do in the garden? To reflect back to that. He told Eve, ah, you, he began to contradict what the word of the Lord said that they heard God say. And the contradiction of the, what the Lord had said had brought them to a place where now they're going to think, well, okay, this is, this is a new revelation. But he wasn't. He was trying to bait them. So but the first argument that Satan came up with was, well, let's discredit the word of God because it's not worth anything. God knows that if you partake of this fruit, you're going to be like him, and he's holding back from you. Isn't that the bent today? God is withholding something good that we need. 
if God doesn't supply our needs according to riches and glory through Christ Jesus, we're saying, what's wrong, God? You're holding back on me. When basically he is not. Amen? That's another subject, but basically uh, he's saying, no, the peace of God that surpasses our understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So everything that we run past that we see in our hearts and minds that causes fear, apprehension, whatever, we run about back to the cross. Was Jesus afraid to go and crucify himself on the cross? Absolutely not. Was he afraid of that whipping post that tore, him, that tore his back to shreds? It was designed to, to, to inflict as much pain as possible without killing the individual who was going through it. So it took a strong individual to live through it, to start with a Roman uh, a scourging, but then it was inflict as much pain possible to still keep the guy breathing. So it was the crucifixion, to inflict the most pain possible but he went through that without fear, not because he had to, but because we needed it. Jesus didn't need to be crucified. He paid the price for us. Jesus didn't need to be whipped because he paid the price for us. We needed it. We need the healing in our bodies. We need the redemption for our sins. We needed it. So Jesus paid the price. He can't unpay for it, but he heard me say that before, but he's paid the price so we can have those things. Let me get back to Philippians 4. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. Surpass is all understanding. It goes beyond what we are capable of understanding. What does? The peace of God goes beyond even what we can make sense out of. Can I say it that way? The peace, in other words, it's beyond our mental, our, our mental, emotional intellect, if I can say that. It's beyond that. It's a peace that is so peaceful that we cannot do that. So how do I obtain such a peace that passes the understanding? It goes past the soulish realm. It goes past the mind and the intellect. How can I have that peace? Because if it's the peace of God, it's exactly what I need in my life. It's exactly what they want in my life. So how could I do that? Simply, this is what I came up with. This is what I, what, what I believe. Okay, to experience this peace means I must give up my rights to understanding and simply trust God. So how do I do that? Well, basically, I go back to his word and see what his word is. word has an address for about every problem you can think of in life. Uh, not about. Uh, it does for every problem. I have not found a problem in life yet. I'm 70 years old. I haven't found 70 years. I've not I've found one problem that this book does not address. Amen. Amen. And it, sometimes we look at it and say, man, I just can't seem to figure that out. Good. That's beyond your understanding then, isn't it? Let's trust God. What he says is true and stand upon that word. Now, now we have something practical we can use, not just something theological that we think about, but something practical we can use because the peace of God isn't going to be how you think it. But I do this, as long as we cling to the inferior, it kind of takes the place of the superior. I'm going to say that again slower. As we cling and try to hang on to the inferior, okay, it seems to take the place of the superior. The superior is what wants to bring us in to give us that life and to give us that newness of life. But if we hang on to the inferior, we never will experience the superior presence of God. Matter of fact, fear can come in so strong, it can become our worship. 
And the true worship of God is put aside because the fear will not let it, allow it to occupy the same place. If it cannot occupy the same place, it's beyond my understanding that this is something I have to trust God with my spirit, not just with my mind and intellect. But on the, on the other note, I will feed my mind, my understanding on his word and get an understanding of that. That understanding now becomes a supernatural understanding that is not part of my physical a part of his supernatural. Now my spirit can rise up and begin to speak the things of God to my mind, and now I can start to change my mind. How many know you can change your mind? You can change your mind right now if you want to. Praise the Lord. Any men in here I'm talking to that are married? How many know their wives can change their mind in a heartbeat? My wife will tell me I can do the same thing. I change my mind all the time. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Um, but I got the poll, but she doesn't this morning, so we'll go ahead and do it. So what happens in this understanding to, to cast off, it's not an easy thing to do, by the way. This is, I'm, I'm preaching this. It's a lot easier said than done. Of course, everything is easier said than done. I understand that as a pastor, and I understand that as a person, but the fact is, but the thing is, give us a shot of something to work towards. Let us begin to work towards something that, that, that's concrete and God that can, can, can use in us. Amen. Because you do have a gifting and a purpose that is when we assemble into the body of Christ, I'm going to get to that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But understand something. You have something that God wants to use in his house. Amen. In his house. Amen. I, I wrote this down. I thought about this. I, I always check myself. Do you ever check yourself? How many ever uh, feel a little hot? They stick a thermometer in their mouth to check their temperature. How many ever done that? Yeah, check your th temperature. And then when, when the number comes up that you're looking for, uh, you're pleased. I have a little thermometer digital. You stick it in your mouth, it turns green, everything's okay. It turns orange if it's getting a little bit. And if it turns red, you're, in, you're comatose. <laughs> <laughs> and we look at these little gadgets and stuff like this. Oh, thank God it's green. It's just my imagination. And we use it, we, put, we, we say we think we're going to put our mind at ease. There's no peace in putting your mind at ease. Amen. My wife will, will, will preach to me at home because uh, I'll be fighting this. But she says, you know, just, you got to get your mind off of that. Just, just start thinking. Just, you, Jesus has healed you. God has healed. The word's healed. You just got to get your mind. And, 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 and she talks me through it. <laughs> Thank God for a good godly wife of 51 years who talks me through situations because I have a mind like you. Matter of fact, my mind sometimes doesn't even want to shut off. It just keeps on going even through the night. So praise the Lord. So what I've done, I've taken, a, I, I try to purposely go to bed before I go to sleep because I know my mind's going to do this, is I start meditating on the God, and I start leaning into his presence. And th thank you, Lord. For, and I start getting, so now if I'm going to dream, okay, my mind is going to already be set towards the word and to the things of scripture. This is what I'm going to, going to go to sleep on. And uh, if I wake up in any other position than that, I'll do it all over again, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, doesn't matter. I'm going to do it all over again and go back to sleep with the peace of God. Because I believe what it says in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God surpasses our understanding. We don't have to understand every little facet about God, but we do have to believe him and take it by faith. Amen. Amen? Praise the Lord. I put this out. The backslider in heart will always judge God by what he didn't do. I, I, I just, that's, I just, my, I just thought it was pretty good. The backslider in heart will judge God by what he didn't do. Isn't that the case? 
we never saw the backslider and everything. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't see it. God never did that for me. Uh, God never healed my body. Uh, and this is what we do. We basically judge God on base what he does. Well, Kenny, because basically I've been, uh, I've preached the gospel on about five different continents. I was in, in Africa a, a couple of times for a month or more uh, in, in the mission field there. And I saw miracle after miracle after miracle. I can testify, we, we, had, we had doctors examining people, testifying of miraculous healing. So you can say God doesn't heal all day long. And for all the cases you can think of, I can probably come up with 10 more that say they do. Amen. So now we, we're at a dilemma here because basically we're going to try to get this by our understanding. But I know there's somebody who's a backslider. That's somebody who's pulled back from God, maybe knew God at one time, pulled back from God. Backsliders aren't the world. Backsliders are people who used to go to church. Backsliders are the ones that used to be in the pulpit. Backsliders are the ones that used to do the things of God. Used to. You know, the old southern saying, I used to could. Give me another chance, I'll used to could again. Praise the Lord. But the fact is, is, is the backslider's heart will always judge God on what he does. Proverbs 14, 14, it says, the backslider's heart is filled with his own ways. I like what the Living Bible says. It says it this way. The backslider gets bored with himself, and the godly man's life is exciting. <laughs> the world's got this backwards. They think serving God is boring. I don't know how they ever served God, but I've been serving God for over 30 some odd years, and it's never been boring. I can use a lot of other adjectives, but boring isn't one of them. Amen. Praise the Lord. Boring is not, not part of the, the, the scenario, so I don't know what they're talking about. Praise the Lord. Amen. 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 Besides that, Hebrews 6, 8, 6, I'll give you this one. I'll throw this one at no extra charge. It says, uh, but we obtained more excellent ministry in so much that he is, is also the mediator of a better covenant, which is established on better promises. So regardless of what you thought before, take the word better and promises, put them together. God has given us better promises because of what Jesus did at the cross. So regardless of what you want to compare with in the Old Testament, the New Testament says, no, we got better promises. Okay, let me go back it up real quick. If Abraham's covenant promised healing, which it did, okay, then how much better is going to be the new covenant that we have with God because it's on better promises? How much more so is healing going to be part of that? If the old covenant was based on prosperity, which Abraham proved that also, that was the first original covenant was through Abraham, then how much better is the new covenant going to be that's been based on the, on the blood of Jesus? Amen? Praise the Lord. If you can't accept better, you just try to argue with that with different. I don't care if you can argue it with different if you want to, but the fact is different it still says better, better is still better. Amen. So you can call different all you want, but it's still better. <laughs> you say different, I'm going to say better. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Because I got the word on it. Amen. But, but great faith, the faith that we're looking for, this great faith to believe these things that God is telling us. Again, we're, we're, we're rejecting the inferior, but great faith doesn't come by striving. I see this over and over again in churches. People are trying to be better Christians. They're trying to be better this, and they're trying to be, and they're striving and doing everything they can. And in, in a lot of cases, they're failing miserably. Not according to God, according to their own expectations. They're failing their own expectations. The thing is, faith, great faith and faith in God doesn't come by striving, it comes by surrendering. Amen. It just comes by, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it because you said I'm going to do it. I don't understand it. There's that piece again beyond understanding. I don't understand it. I can't wrap my mind around it, but I'm going to do it anyway. 
because word, your word says so. Can you really take the word and practically apply it to your life? Yes. A thousand times yes. And I don't care how many theologians tell you you can't. They're all lying. Because you can. Jesus told us we can. And we, that we should. Praise the Lord. Well, that's another story. And uh, praise the Lord. Here's the thing. When the goal of our faith is keeping us safe from evil, our faith becomes inferior to what God expects. And how many know we do that? We want our faith. We want to be comfortable. We don't want any pain. Nobody doesn't want pain. We, want, we don't want shortages. Everything. So we do everything in our power to avoid those things. When those things come up and nobody has the answers, is when we try to look for an answer that's above us. But what if we, if, we, if we cut that process short and admit right up in front that if my faith is to keep me from evil, then basically I'm trying to grasp hold of what an inferior is or what God expects. Because God didn't say that in his word. He didn't say, I'll keep you from every evil thing that ever comes against you. What he says, he said in 1 John 5, 4 and 5, it says this, for whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that he has overcome. You can't get a victory without a fight. You can't be an overcomer without overcoming something. So what God says, your faith isn't to keep you safe, but the faith is to bring you through to be an overcomer of all those things that come against you. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So we don't look at staying in a bubble or protected, but instead keeping us safe. Amen? My wife and I learned this firsthand when the pandemic came. Because basically, we, we, this is what we stood on. Lord, keep us safe. We don't understand this thing called COVID. I don't think anybody did, even the experts didn't, because they couldn't get, agree on anything. Between the, uh, expert scientists and the expert politicians, they were always uh, uh, coming up with different new things. So th th I just figured they were confused. But we've been exposed to it, my wife and I, big time. No symptoms, no, no, no symptoms. We took testings, always test clear, come back, and kept on doing what God's called us to do. But we also prayed Psalms 91 over our household, over our church, over the other things we do. We also trusted God. And even if we did get it, we knew fr friends and family members that did. And got severe cases of it. So what? God will bring you through that too if you trust him in it. So it doesn't matter if you get it or don't get it. doesn't mean if you got it, you're not going to listen. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that God will bring us through. Amen. The goal of our faith is not keep us from evil which makes us inferior, but the, the, God's purpose is for us, that, uh, he's, it's more than survival, but to be an overcomer. Amen. You're trying to be a survival in the faith, and you're trying to survive things, and it's in the wrong mode. It comes from the garden. You see, Adam and Eve never thought about failing anything before the fall. So when their eyes were open, their eyes were open to failure that they never had before. What if we closed our eyes to failure? and opened our eyes to the success that God wants us to have to be an overcomer. No evil shall come nigh me, nothing shall come nigh my dwelling. And if it does, God will empower me to overcome it. And by his power, I can overcome all things. How about that? That's a different eye-opening. That's getting back to the tree of life instead of the tree of knowledge. We want to cling to this tree of knowledge. I mean, we send our kids to college. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. But how many know that person in the college professor doesn't mean he's actually experienced what he's teaching? 
You can go get a business degree in college. Doesn't mean that professor ever started his own business before, or ever had the ups and downs of businesses. He's just telling you the, the, the semantics and the mechanics of it. Doesn't mean he's ever experienced it. I don't know about you, I like people who have been there. <laughs> I want to hear their stories of the success, the ones that have been there, the ones that understand, not the ones that just theorize about things. Praise the Lord. Well, Jesus Christ has been there. Amen. You can't think of one thing in your life that has been more miserable than the cross or the, or, or the, or the scourging. You can't mention one thing that Jesus... That, oh, go ahead, talk about your rejection. You can't mention one thing that's ever been worse than what Christ has gone through for you. Amen? If I look at that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If I get my... Now I'm rejecting the inferior and taking on the superior thoughts and taking on the superior and becoming a victor. Oh, you're just pumping yourself up. Yeah, try pumping yourself up. Just go ahead. Take, leave God out of it and just try to pump up yourself. Let's see how far you pump. We'll check your pressure <laughs> once you're done pumping. Praise the Lord. <laughs> that just came to me. I didn't know that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Let me give you a for instance of what I'm talking about, and I'm going to move on to something else. It says, how about this statement? I could put this in quotes. I hear this. I've heard this all my life. I've heard this everywhere. Because I'm a child of God, my life depends on God. God speaking to me and caring for me. I've heard this all my life. Because I'm a child of God. How many here is a child of God? Raise your hand if you're a child of God. Raise your hand if you're a child of Satan. Okay, praise the Lord. We don't need any deliverance this morning. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Because I'm a child of God, my life depends on, on God speaking to me and caring for me. There's enough truth in that to keep me in deception. I said, there's enough truth in that to keep me in deception. The devil doesn't always come at you with lies, but a bending of the truth. Remember when he met Jesus in the wilderness? Huh? Remember that? And he comes to Jesus, if you'd be the son of God, turn your locks and loaves of bread. Doesn't it say? And it also says in the word, he said, man shall all live by bread alone. The devil used Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, to tempt, tempt Jesus and who he was and to get him to question who he is. Jesus wouldn't fall for it. Instead, Jesus answered scripture, false scripture, misused scripture with more scripture. Amen. He said, well, if you be the son of God, throw yourself off this pinnacle. No, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So he used the word of God again back at him. After three times, the devil had to flee. I figured this way. If I can war off the devil three times with three different scriptures, I'm free. I'm free to carry out what God called me to carry out. Of course, he comes back. As we know, he came back to Jesus. He didn't leave him alone at that point, but he came back. But each time when Jesus acted out the will of the Father, it had to be something for these disciples. Can you imagine these guys and the mundane life that they led? Fishermen. How boring can it be? I mean, this is your livelihood. I mean, you're the same old thing. You pair the net, you throw the net, you pick the net, you take the fish to market, you do this, you're back in the next morning, you do the same thing. Day in, day out. It's like, it's like factory work. It's just same thing, same thing, same thing. All of a sudden, this man, Jesus comes along. Demon-possessed people are falling at his feet worshiping him. 
The religious leaders are shut up. They don't know what to say. They can't even match his wisdom. They're seeing miracles, blind eyes open, deaf ears healed. They're seeing the lame walk. They're seeing uh, uh, dead people raise up from the dead. And now Jesus said it's imperative for me to go away so the Holy Spirit will come. What is a Holy Spirit? We never even heard of such a thing. So they spent the next 10 days in a prayer room, an upper room, praying for something. They do not know what's going to happen. Never going to see what happened. And all this mystery around these things. How many know God likes mystery? <laughs> he likes to keep things hidden until the time they're supposed to be revealed. But all oh, Peter, who was ducking, these guys were ducking and hiding because they were afraid they were going to be crucified like Jesus was. Then all of a sudden, he raises from the dead. He says, you wait for me. and You wait for the Holy Spirit. So they're, what's a Holy Spirit? They don't even know. They're sitting there waiting for it. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came. Ten days on Pentecost. Pentecost is 50. 50 days after, after the Passover, Jesus showed himself for 40 days. There was only about 10 days left from the ascension. Are you following any of this? So for 10 days, they don't know what they're praying. The Lord said to pray, we're going to pray. I figure 10 days we can be in mystery about anything in life, never knowing what God's going to do. But 10 days I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe what God says, even though my, my, everything around me says, is, says something different. I can trust him for the next 10 days until his Holy Spirit comes and begins to change my entire life. Peter come out at open room, man, he was like, he was like gangbusters. Sees a guy on the temple steps. Here, silver and gold, enough. Take my hand. Come Stand up. Pick up your bed and walk. Go ahead. And he went leaping into the, in, into the temple that he was never allowed to be in before. Oh, hallelujah. So let me get back to this. Because I'm a child of God, my life is dependent on God speaking, speaking to me and caring for me. The disciples take that same note. I said there's enough truth in that to, bring it, to, to, to make it you know, deceived. Because our need to hear from God for myself does not remove the need for the other gifts that God has placed in the body of Christ to speak into my life. Oh, should I repeat that? The need for me to hear for God for myself does not negate, does not remove the net, does not nullify the need for the other gifts that God himself has placed into the church, by the way. I'll add that part. Amen that God himself has placed, it doesn't negate or doesn't make it unnecessary for me still to focus on those gifts. Understand something, Jesus died for his church. He didn't die for our right to be alone. Praise God. Jesus Christ died for, uh, Bishop used to say, died for his church. <laughs> Dr. Hammond used to say, oh yeah, Jesus Christ died for his church. And so he died for his church, amen, not for us individually, but we are part of the church. How about, how about some more scriptures to prove this point so you don't feel isolated or alone? Let me, let me, let me bring it into God's perspective. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, you can jot these down, I'm going to go pretty quick. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says, after this manner, therefore, he said, pray. Remember the disciples asked Jesus how we should pray? Lord, you school us on how we're supposed to pray. What are we supposed to say? Just, you know, help us how to do it. Out of all the things they could learn from the God, they saw the connection between prayer, the miracles, prayer, and the lows of, in, in the fishes, prayer, and the seas being calm. There was something connecting all those things that was prayer. And he said this. Jesus said this. 
starting out, he said, therefore, pray ye, King James, our Father, which art in heaven, howeth be thy name. That's the starting of it. How many know the Our Father? We call the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. I don't like the term of the Lord's Prayer because basically it talks about sin, uh, forgiven sin, and Jesus didn't have any. But this was a model prayer. This wasn't a prayer to recite necessarily. But uh, Nothing wrong with that. But the, but the fact is it was more as a, as a basis of prayer. But notice he said, an opening line, first two words, our Father. He did not say my Father. He did not say your Father. He said our Father. You got that? He's the Father of all of us, combined, not individually. But yet we do have access to the Father individually when we also have to also recognize the gifts of the Father individually, corporately. There's something about the corporate expression that you cannot get any other way but corporately. And it's why, because this is how God has set it up. All right, I'll give you some more proof. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Okay, not enough proof? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as has pleased him. This is pleasing to our Father to set us up together in a church. He has a purpose for this. He has a reason for this. And if we don't live this way, we don't live in that coordinate purpose. All right? You want more scripture? Got them. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? How many in here have always raised their hand and said, I did this in my leadership, by the way, so I'm not trapping anybody. How many have ever said, I have the mind of Christ? Well, now you're afraid to raise your hand? <laughs> no, you don't. According to scriptures, you do not have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Corporately, together, together we have the mind of Christ. Are we getting the together thing yet? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Okay, more scripture reference. Okay, how about let's just get out of 1 Corinthians. I'll go to Romans chapter 12. That's a good book. Romans chapter 12, verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ and individuals, members, one of one another. How many here is an individual member? You're an individual amongst one another. Are we, are we getting anything out of this? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm I, I got one more thing. Can I? Can, can I? Can you bear just with me a little bit? I, I don't know if I get this in the time. I, I, I want to. I want to get this meat out here. I got a. I got a thing. I want. I want to give you. I'm not going to get probably. I'll, I'll have to carry this over probably. So there's another session. But anyway, I, I talk, How many of you remember Jehoshaphat? What I'll do. I'll give you the scripture references. I'm going to Second Chronicles chapter 20. But how many remember uh, the the Jehoshaphat? I like this because here's here's the key. I want to get now, I want to pull this together to why we need to come together. Now, we already saw the ways where we need to come together. I want to pull it in need why we come together. I'm going to do that in the five minutes I got left. <laughs> it's almost six minutes, uh, less than six minutes that got left. Praise the Lord. But it says this. It says, um, they rose up early in the morning. I'm going to verse 20. Second uh, uh, Chronicles 20, 20. Uh, good, good vision. Amen. Uh, so they rose up early in the, in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, 
and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe the Lord your God, and ye shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. How many ever heard that scripture? Let's take the context. Well, let me give you the words for a minute. The word established means to build up. So believe the Lord your God, and you will be built up. Believe his prosperous, and you shall advance or push forward. Prosper doesn't mean mean making money. It means to advance or push forward. So how many know in this text, in this concept, God wants to be advanced and push, he wants us to push forward. But what Jehoshaphat did, he's looking out over the enemy. I'll give you a, a, a brief generation that you can go back and look it up later. But what he's looking at, he's looking at the enemy, the Moabites, the Amalites, Ammonites, all coming against him. He's hopelessly outnumbered. He knows that if nothing happens without God's intervention, we are toast. So he says, give me a prophet. Where's the prophets in Israel? Give me a, uh, or in Judah, give me a prophet. And the prophet comes forth. And this is what he, what he says. And he says, when he encountered all the people, he appointed, and he, said, uh, oh, he listened to the prophets, and the prophet said, this battle is not yours, but the Lord's. How many would take that as a good sign when the prophet comes forth, you know it's a true word of God, and God says, this isn't your fight, this is mine. Amen. Can you picture the most devastating thing of coming against your life, and the Lord says, this is not your battle, this is mine. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to the beach. Hallelujah. Oh, boy, I was worried there for a minute. But God's got this. I'm going to take, I'm going on vacation, man. I tell you what, you know, Caymans are nice this time of year. I'm going to get some diving done. Is that what Jehoshaphat did? Not even close. It says he rose early in the morning, went to the wilderness of Decoa. Decoa was a, was a stronghold, was a, was a raised part. Depending on who you talk to, it's about six to nine miles south of Jerusalem. And about another, uh, um, I think, uh, six miles or so from Bethlehem. It's, it's out in, in other words, it's in the Judean wilderness, but it's a, ha- a mound, it's a stronghold. In other words, they're not going to take the fight to the city. They're not going to wait for the enemy to come to them. They're going to go to the enemy battleground where they are. I like Jehoshaphat's attitude. The Lord said, This is my battle. I'm going to win it. Jehoshaphat didn't go home. He says, Send all the troops and march out there. He gets his plan. He said, this is the Lord's battle. He's going to be with us. He said, but we're taking this ground. They're, they're positioning themselves for a fight. Are you here? The Lord says, don't worry about the devil. This battle's not yours. This is mine. So what happens, the church assembles together because with that word of victory, we're going to praise him and we're going to give him victory and we're going to declare that victory before we see anything happens. Jehoshaphat, I love this because Jehoshaphat, he takes and he puts the, his troops And then all of a sudden he shifts. He takes his praisers and puts them before the troops. And the praisers went out and began to sing praises. uh, We don't know what song they sung, but it could put something like this. God has won the battle. You guys are all dead. I mean, God is is mighty. He is stronger than, than, than anybody. And basically, when they got to where the battle was to engage the enemy, because God was with them, it's God's fight, it's God's battle, but they're in it. They're in it because God is in it. They didn't go on vacation because God was in it. They didn't assume God was just going to do something for them. They got involved with what God is doing because he was smart enough as a king to know that God likes to co-labor with his people. So he gets up there and he begins to shout, yes, we're going to serve God. Yes, and God is going to be the victor here. We're going to win. And the enemy is not going to gain advantage over us. And when they got there, everybody's dead. 
Dead, dead, dead. So they stop back and think, well, couldn't they have done that when I was at the beach? God really didn't need me here. He really didn't need me to be here. Why couldn't I just take an off? I mean, come on, I've been there every Sunday. Oh, well, he's not going to miss you one Sunday. But what if that's the Sunday that he wants to cure cancer? What if that's the Sunday that this battle's mine, says the Lord, but he wants to do a miracle in your life? Where's he going to do it at? Is he going to give you the right to hermit someplace? Or is he going to do it with his people, with the other gifts that are prophesying coming forth? Let me give you something real quick because I'm running low on time. I've got a few seconds left. Amen. Let me find. Let me find. I'll get that. Get that next week. Right here. Second, First Timothy. Write this down if you don't have time to turn. Write this down. First Timothy 1, 19, uh, 18 through nineteen. Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy is a pastor of the church of Ephesus. Uh, he calls him his son. as his spiritual son. Paul is writing this. He says, "This I charge. I commit to you." Would you think that's serious at the start of this thing? I'm charging you and I'm committing this to you. This is your responsibility. He says, I commit you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. What? That's what did you give me? I'm coming against all these principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. If you know anything about church, if you know anything about Ephesus as a city, it's a lot like Key West. This ministers to me a lot because it's a lot like Key West. It was a party town for the Roman Empire. Do you know that that church in Ephesus is the, when you read the book of Ephesians, which wrote to the church of, uh, to the church of Ephesus by Paul, there is not one letter of correction in that thing. This was probably one of the neatest run churches that he had going in all Asia Minor. Not like Corinth. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Not one, but he's saying war a good warfare. Use your prophecies. Listen to this. You may wage a good for having faith and a good conscience with some have put referring faith and may, suffered shipwreck. He said, I commit to you that the prophecies previously made concerning you that by them you may wage a good warfare. Let me read this in a, in, 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 in a different version. That was New King James. Let me read this in the Passion Translation. So, Timothy, my son, I'm entrusting you with this responsibility in keeping with the very first prophecies which were spoken over your life. These are ones that were spoken a long time ago over your life and are now in the process of fulfilling in this great work of ministry in keeping with the prophecies spoken over you with this encouragement use your prophecies as a weapon as you wage spiritual warfare by faith with a clean conscience for there are many who have rejected these virtues and are now destitute in true faith Praise the Lord. Amen? I got more, but let me give you this last one. Ezra chapter 6, verse 14. And the elders of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophecies of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. Edo. I'm going to say this again. Ezra 6.14, it says, and they prospered 
through the prophesying of Hagar. Now remember what I said, what it was, was uh, they prosper, what does it mean? They move forward, they advanced by their prophecies, by the prophecies of these two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, and they move forward. Praise the Lord. Have we made the case this morning that we need to come together, not just to show up, but to be a part of. As we worship this morning and raised our hands this morning, which is wonderful, it's great, and the Spirit of the Lord came in here. As we're doing this, whether you know it or not, no matter how you have encouraged everybody around here, around you, because God has put a gift in you, that gift may just be blessing to other people. Just your presence can be a blessing to somebody else. Did you know that? And I got a word, I, I shared this with the, with the Harp and Bowl group last night. I said, as we're singing and praising, and I says, I says God is going to take this season. This is a season where we're going to have to rely on, on each other more than we ever had before. This has never been a one-man show. This has never been my church. This has always been Jesus' church, period. And it's something of his believers to come together in the war of good warfare. And I was so thankful uh, Apostle Pastor Robert came with, uh, in, in, uh, with, his, with, with um, the word that he brought to the church. Matter of fact, we transcribed it, we highlighted some things, and this is what we're praying because we're taking those prophecies that were spoken over just a couple weeks ago over this church and this ministry, and we're speaking them now, and we're, we're, we're taking them uh, to the harp and bowl, and we're, we're coming before the Lord with these prophecies. Lord, this is what you said. We stand and believe you and trust you. The peace that path us all understanding. In other words, we give up our right to try to understand every prophecy. We give up our right to try to understand how this works, why this works, or how any kind of solution this works. We give up our right to understand just to trust you. Just to trust what you said. So we give up our right to understanding. To help anybody this morning, we're rejecting the inferior and we are discovering purpose. We are going to discover the purpose of God and what he has for us. Because everybody in the house of the Lord, there's no hierarchy in the body of Christ. That's, that's religious bunk. We all have different jobs and different responsibilities. But he said to the body of Christ, he said, if I'm, not a, if I'm a hand, or if I'm a, can the eye say to a hand or a foot, I have no need of you? Absolutely not. So we know that he put parts in particular. I didn't get to that scripture, but there's another scripture right there. Everything Jesus talked about, our Father, it's not my Father, it's not your Father, it's our Father together. So when we come together, we do the Father's will, we have the Father's presence. Amen. When we come together, doing the Father's will, because He's the one that's commanded us here, then we do what He says to do. Forsake not the assembly together yourselves, and even so as you see the day approaching. That's a command of the Lord. That's in, that's in the book. Amen? Praise the Lord. So whether you skirt that truth, just meaning Sunday morning, or you're involved with everything that we're doing here at Covenant Word Church, and get, or the local church, wherever you're at, we go to a local church and support that. We're talking to people on live stream, whatever it is. Then what happens is when you come in, God now can empower you and trust you with the rest of the Word. How come we see some people seem to get the revelation, they seem to do this and seem to do well, we got the other persons listening in the same, it doesn't seem there. It all has to do with, mature, with spiritual maturity and how people grow. You as a parent wouldn't give your five-year-old a loaded pistol, would you? Not if you had a brain. Amen? 
But now when we're 25, 30 years old, we can train on the proper use and safety of that same weapon. Praise the Lord. Same thing with the Lord. Is he going to entrust you with a healing ministry, with any kind of ministry, before you're ready to commit to his body as a, as a gift or as a body? I don't know about you, but I started, I started out in the body of Christ uh, hanging ceiling fans in the church. I was an electrician. <laughs> so I went to the pastor with I said, is there anything I can do here? Anything at all. I just want to help. I just want to work. I just want to do something for this church and something because it's, it's a kingdom. I want to work in the kingdom. He said, well, we need ceiling fans. Uh, I hate hanging ceiling fans. The worst job I hate in electricity because they were stupid. <laughs> and the cheap metal ones, you don't have them anymore. They, they, they had the nice ones. That, no, they, they, my pastor, no, he had the cheap ones. Oh, they're cheap. And they wobble. <laughs> 32 of those suckers I hung in the sanctuary. <laughs> and it didn't feel any cooler before I hung them than after I hung them. Except we just had these things. I thought the, I thought the room was going to take off. <laughs> Well, boy, I did it. Thank you, Jesus. You gave me a job to do. Praise the Lord. I get it. And I was singing all the way through this thing. I had some time. I was between jobs at the time. It was, it was in the wintertime. Anyway, I, so I was waiting for my next job to come up. I had, some, I had about a week or two weeks. I just worked in the church. I said, yeah, I'm going to do this. My pastor was happy, and I thought, this is stupid. <laughs> I said, if I ever pastor a church, it's not going to have one ceiling fan in it. I don't care if it's, if it's in Ghana, West Africa. I'm not going to have one ceiling fan. We'll have people waving things, but we're not have no ceiling fans. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Stand to our feet. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I may got something out of the word this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're thankful for the people that have partnered with us. And I'm still continue thankful. You all work hard. You really do. I got one of the hardest working staffs I've ever seen. Um, we do a lot with a little. Matter of fact, many guest speakers that come here, guest ministers come from other places, marvel at how much we do uh, for the size of the church that we are. So I want to commend that. But I see this next season, and to keep from being overwhelming of the good harvest workers, we're praying in more harvest workers because the work is just starting. We've been here 32 years, but God, isn't 32 years of the same old, same old? If you've been with us that long, you know that there's been change. Amen. And that we're continually changing. It's always a new season that we're coming into. And I'm seeing this new season. Robert, when he prophesied, he just hit it. And boy, it just, it just fired me up uh, because I had the prophecies from before. He says, those prophecies will come to pass today. Amen? So those are the things we're seeing. So we're praying and, uh, and, and maybe so I, I want to take a personal note here for our people here and just thank everybody for what they're doing. But let's, let's ramp it up because it's, it's season's coming. We've been seeing miracles in our church, miracle healings. We haven't seen anything yet about what God wants to do. But he can't trust people with revival because what happened in the past revivals, they've used it to pump up their own ministries. So in this day and hour, I'm believing God that he'll spread the gifts around. So one person can't say, well, that was me. That's our church. We have that anointing. You know how it works. And then before you know it, here goes the end of that revival that God never intended to end. Well, because he had to because of man's handling of it, poorly handling of it. Amen. Now, I believe the next revival is going to be the ushering of Christ. I really do. Amen. I can't give you the day or the hour. Nobody can. It'd be insane to try. Uh, because God has concealed it. 
I don't want to know what he doesn't want me to know. I want to know what he does want me to know. Why is it we always want to know something God doesn't want us to know? But the things he wants us to know, ah, we, you know, no. praise the Lord. Are you blessed this morning? Yeah. Do you feel stronger going out than you came in? Yes. That's good right there. Praise the Lord. You need to be, feel stronger going out, coming in. Amen? Let's, let's the, let the body of Christ, let's commit. Can we commit to the next season? Let's commit to the next season that we, that we cooperate with the Lord to the fullest that we haven't even seen yet before. A cooperation that we not have yet seen. But we're going to cooperate with the Holy Spirit no matter what it looks like, no matter what it sounds like, no matter what we think. We're going to give up our right to understanding to get a hold of the peace that God wants us to have. I'm going to stay on this for a while because this, this is just good. I'm going to give up my right to understanding. You don't have to. You can keep your right to understanding and still stay in this turmoil that you're in. Yeah. If you like your turmoil. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I, I prayed over one guy for deliverance. This was years ago with another pastor. We were praying over this guy. He was in our church. And the guy came in off the streets. And as we're laying hands, the other pastor was praying. I'm laying hands and praying. And all of a sudden, I get this vision. I see a demon come out of this guy. And the guy reach up in the vision and pull it back. Reach up, pull it back. Another one come out, he pull, pull it back. I said, stop. I stopped the other I said, stop. I asked him, I said, why do you keep pulling them back? He said, what? I said, I saw what you're doing. I saw a vision. I said, in the spirit, I saw a vision. I said, the demon is going out and you're pulling it back. He hung his head in shame. He says, I know. I said, why are you doing that? He said, because I don't know what to do without my demons. I said, out your demons. I said, Christ wants to give you something better than your demons. He walked out of that church without deliverance. He kept his demons, just like he wanted. Two weeks later, they found him dead in a dumpster. He would come from a wealthy family. He lived on the streets of Key West as a drunk and a druggie. But he came from a wealthy family. His father was on the New York Stock Exchange and would pay. He was the only bum in town that I knew had Blue Cross Blue Shield. His father would pay for his medication to keep him dried out, keep him in the hospital. He'd buzz out and get in the hospital. But he said, I don't know what I would do without my demons. Praise the Lord. I know what I'd do without them. I would lift my head to glory <laughs> and do and have. Praise the Lord. And have others help other people do the same thing. Praise God. Father, we thank you for the word this morning. I thank you for these wonderful people.